Hello and welcome back to the Advancing Man Project podcast. I'm Dave Whitley and on the call today I have my friend. Um, I'm honored to call him friend, Shane Weston from Australia. I've, we've never actually spoken face-to-face -face no, until, we have interacted before, until this yeah. call, but we've done a lot of back and forth on Messenger and some, some stuff like that. Shane runs um, one of my favorite Facebook groups for dads. It's Dads Assisting Dads or the Dads Club, D-A-D club um and it's got quite a few members and got quite a strong message i wound up in there a few months ago and fell in love with the place and there's a lot of high quality guys in there talking about different stuff today shane's going to come on tell us a little bit about his background his journey and um you know like it always is on this show it's just a couple guys talking and getting to know each other better about things that are relevant to being a dad being a parent being a man, taking care of ourselves physically. Uh, Shane's also involved in some cold exposure plunging stuff that he's recently started a Facebook group about. I'm excited to talk about yeah, some of that stuff. <laughs> and um, yeah. so, yeah, appreciate you being on. Um, let's uh, let's jump into it. Let's uh, let's start out with a little bit about your background, your personal journey, and how that wound up being the impetus to create that dad, dad's assisting dads. Oh man, how much time do you have? <laughs> uh, basically, my driving force was obviously I started a dad's group because I just turned a dad. Uh, that was in 2020. But to know more about where the the passion went towards going, uh, that was that leads back to my childhood. Uh, basically, I, I, um, my father was a driving force towards the thing because I lost him to um, suicide. Um, I don't know how in-depth you want to go with that, but I don't mind talking about it. Uh, just as a brief, I I went through a fair bit of a process with that, but I was more about, I think I was about 27, 28 when it happened. So I was, I was already uh, uh, on the way to start preparing myself in terms of uh, mental health and everything like that. So I was dealing with my own process. Uh, so, yeah, well, on, on my daughter's birthday, which is 2020 or 19, 2019, I basically um, started the dad's group and the driving force was to provide housing area for men that were um, struggling as being a father because every other group, as you've probably known yourself, it's just been nothing but toxic. Uh, there's a whole lot of talk about spanking kids and how you're going to deal with them. And it was really just real toxic. So I wanted to create an environment where we can actually control it. Uh, we can sort of choose in a way, not ignore that the fact there is a toxic dads out there, but the fact that just maybe re-education than anything. That was the main driving force towards that group. Yeah, and a lot of the other groups too, not just the the stuff that you're talking about with the way that they treat their kids, but also from a a mental health perspective, in a lot of the other groups that I've been in, there's a lot of the the glorification of the dad grind. You know, I work 16 hours a day, nine days a week, and I'm never there for my kids. And that's just what I do because that's what a dad does. And I'm like, no. No, and it's in 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 your group. There's not a lot of that sort of stuff either. So I think that that um, that's definitely a there's a mental health issue going on there too. If you think 
as a dad that all of your worth is wrapped up in solely being a provider and that your job is to just go be miserable so that you can put food on the table. You know, you're, you're kind of missing the point in there for me, but um, go a little bit more into, into your backstory there. If you don't mind, Um, I, this is really, this is just for me, just getting to, to, to know you a little bit better. Um, yeah. it's, It sucks that you lost your dad to suicide. That's, that's an awful, awful thing. And, um, you know, my, my dad, um, he passed away in 2020. Um, but he was, he was old and six, you know, it's not, it's not the same thing. There were, no one was surprised there. And and we had good conversations and a good relationship, especially at the end. But, um, having young kids, you said your, your oldest is five and your youngest is how old? Not quite two. Uh, 20 months. Yeah. 20 months, not quite two. Um, for me, one of the big things is I know that my son is going to grow up not knowing my dad is his grandpa. And, mm. and that's something that, that affects me every day. And I'm figuring out how to navigate every day. Um, one of the things that my dad asked me in our final conversation, which I don't, I don't think I've talked to you about this before, but we, a few days before he passed on, we spent the day together and he was, uh, his body was, was, done tired broken down shutting down his mind was still clear though and we were able to have conversation and and i'm really thankful for that part of it but but one of the things that he asked me to do was to make sure that that my son who was about 18 months old at the time knew who he was and knew what he was about and yeah. i take that i take that part very seriously and then of course the other thing that i've i've talked about this before um the other promise that he it literally, I mean, it's it was one of his dying wishes is he asked me to make sure that I do a better job of being a dad with my son than he did with me. And my initial response to that was like, but you did great. And he's like, I know I did okay. I made mistakes. We're all human. He said, I want you to promise that you'll do even better. And so I take that very yeah. seriously too. That's, that's an oath that I took to him. And so um, I think that in some ways, me holding that, the way that I hold it and you looking at the situation that you lived through with your dad, we kind of come to the, a similar conclusion that we have to, we have to do the best that we can do. And it's going to be better than what our dads did, whether it was good or not so great. So um, I'm curious to, right. to hear a little bit more about you and, and your background on that and how you're navigating that with your kids, especially about, you know, grandpa's not there. Yeah. Uh, well, in a lot, in a lot of senses, uh, my childhood, I, I, in my actual family, it consisted of my mother, my father, and I have a brother and a sister. I'm the youngest. Um, uh, but I don't talk to any of them. My, uh, when I was 15, my father had a mental breakdown at work. He basically went on leave, um, uh, for nearly six months, I remember, and he was bedridden. He was in a really bad mental state, uh, and we didn't see a lot of him. He pretty much got up. I walked, we saw him walk past in a dressing gown, and he'd kind of nod and not say anything. And we were very confused as kids. We we didn't understand what was going on. How old at the same at the time, time? I was fifteen at that time. Mm. Uh, so yeah, I was just freshly moved from my area and I went to a new school. Everything was all changing. But uh, basically, my mum, she 
she was undiagnosed, but I'm pretty confident to say that she suffered from bipolar and borderline personality disorder. Um, and she had a rough childhood, but she kept laying into him. She was saying things like, um, you're lazy, get up, what are you doing? Um, you may be on holidays, but you need to um, get over this illness. And she basically berated him for nearly six months. And we were just in the lounge room and we were hearing all this. And I think at some point he manipulated a situation where the kids started believing that he was lazy in a way. We didn't understand what was going on mentally inside his head. Then all of a sudden he got up and he said, I'm done. And he packed his bags and he left and he disappeared for about two years. Um, in that time, my mum filled me, filled all of our minds saying um, he's a waste of space. Uh, he didn't want to be with us. There was a whole bunch of negativity and I formed a small bit of hatred towards him, unfortunately. I, I can admit that now. Um, and as I grew, he he started getting a little bit better. He found a an old flame from when he was 18 and he tracked it down with a private eye and he got his, he got his life a bit together. And then towards the end, it seemed like we had a good relationship. Then it fell about, uh, I think I was 21, I got diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia. And then my life again spiraled out as life does. And he was there for me, but at the same time, I think there was a lot of triggers for me and it kind of sparked still that sort of ne negativity towards him, which I actually look back at it now and I, I honestly think it was from a form of parental alienation. Mm -hmm. And I think he he understood that and he knew that there was damage done. So he kind of kept his distance after I healed from hospital and everything like that. And then we kind of drifted apart. And then towards the tail end, I got a phone call from my sister that I hadn't heard for in seven years and basically said that he ended his life. And everything that I had, all the anger, all everything that I had that, built up around him just faded that day it it meant nothing it's not that i didn't have passion towards it was like all my anger and hatred basically left because that he ended his life and uh, shortly after that i think it was a good three years we had our first kid and that's where the dad sort of spiraled in the dad's club sort of planted the seed and i wanted to make sure that other people had a platform to kind of talk about it so how does that that experience that you went through shape the way that you approach being a dad and the way you interact with your kids now my dad we had a lot of similarities um i i was diagnosed with depression anxiety he was also diagnosed with depression anxiety but he was manic depressive so there were a lot of similarities in terms of social awkwardness um, the way he handled himself I make sure that I don't do that in front of my children I make sure that if uh, if I'm having a bad day I don't bring them down I don't add the drama for them I obviously I want them to feel emotions and pain and all that like everyone else to grow but at the same time I, 
I try and instill all the things that I, I don't think I had as a child. And that's the kind of driving force that I have towards the group and towards being a father is the fact that I, I, it's almost like a mantra, just what would my father do? And then try and do the opposite. That's basically <laughs> yeah. my, my, my big plan towards it all. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming that there was not a lot of, uh, it was not greatly encouraged to express emotions in that environment when you were a kid. Not really. That I mean, my mother, he was very negative, but he allowed a platform to, for me to express myself. Um, and that, that turned negative. That turned me into being basically a little shit as a kid. I was rebellious. I tested the waters and my, I think I wasn't too concerned about uh, what others would think. I, I think I came more of a, I don't care what others think. I'm going to do it anyway. Mm -hmm. And that turned into a big rebellious stage. But um, now that I've grown up and my mind has matured, drastically since I was a child, I can start seeing uh, little similarities. Even though my kids are really young, I feel that I can almost see if their mindsets are going towards like a negative, peaky aspect. I I try and nip that on the bud as soon as I can. But it's not in the, any kind of authority force because not so much my father because he wasn't really an actual like he was a father but he wasn't actually um there for me he and you see that a lot in the dad's groups where uh the guys would say i work 16 hours a day um and i only do that for my family and i don't have time when i get home to kind of socialize with them and do all that kind of stuff um uh, you've probably seen it yourself and it's it's just that's not what to me, that's not what a father is, you know? And I, I think you share a very similar aspect that a father can be more than just money and being a provider or things like that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's, I, I, I talk about this all the time, that, that the only instruction manual that we're really handed, I mean, I know there's parenting books out there and stuff, but like the only instruction manual that we're really handed when we become dads is whatever our own experience was, growing up and that can be our our immediate family that can be cousins uncles siblings school all of that sort of stuff that influenced us not just on how to be a, a dad but on how to be a man right and then for dads specifically there's very little in terms of positive role models on this but media stereotypes right you you have you have you know your homer simpsons and your al bundys of the world and yeah. and you, you have um if you've ever seen that movie fences that denzel washington was in it's adapted of a play there's a scene where his where his teenage son um asks him why didn't you ever like me and instead of doing what i would i would hope that that i would do in a situation like that and be like well i just didn't know how to show it or i do like you and i love you and you're my son and all that he goes on this long bit of dialogue about how his job as a father isn't to like you it's to provide for you and to protect you and to make sure that that you know that that you stay alive and i don't have to like you to do that and then it that sort of evolves into a um a 
you should be grateful to me for sacrificing my life so that you could be alive. And now here you are being ungrateful, wanting me to like you on top of all that. So it's, it's really quite depressing. And, um, yeah. but, but I bring that up because those types of stereotypes exist in all forms of media, um, that, and then like the, just the kind of the bumbling idiot, right. The Homer Simpson style, and and then of course the the hard handed disciplinarian you know and and I'm uh, my take on that is when when my son gets older if he does something not very smart and gets in trouble I don't want his first thought to be oh please don't tell my dad he's going to be so mad he's going to kill me I want him to be like I need my dad right now he'll know how to figure this out he can help me and Absolutely. and so I think that the stuff that you're doing in the group is fantastic. Uh, because it it supports that sort of environment without um, without like pointing fingers and and telling men who are doing something different than that that well you're screwing up by not doing this stuff you know because that's the surest way to to push anybody away um, and I will say this though since since you are in Australia one of my my favorite uh, media role models of course is Bandit. From Bluey, yeah, oh, he does a lot of good bandage. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I heard you guys uh, did another one, uh, Chinchilla. Apparently, I don't you know, know Chinchilla. One? Chinchilla is uh, basically almost a knockoff to the Australian version, but they're Chinchillas instead. Mm. Same family, same kind of music dialogue, mm. and same messages. Yeah, but, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah but banded, um... banded in a lot of ways. I think they it started curving the, he's nearly impossible to replicate. I mean, the, the dedication for that character, he works continuously. I think he's, he works remotely. Uh, mm -hmm. He gets to choose almost where he goes, but the level of involvement he has in the games and in their, in their lives, it's, and it, it's like something you want to strive for, but I don't think anyone has that amount of time in their day right. to actually have that level of, discipline towards the kids as well yeah well the, and the thing i love about him is is i i can't recall a particular episode but it seems to me that, that he could be involved in doing something adult right and then the yeah. kids come in and daddy it's time to play whatever game and he just drops it and goes and does it um, sometimes yeah. begrudgingly sometimes enthusiastically but but yeah i think that um having that as a as an example of, well, this is actually something that, that we can do as dads to aspire to. And it's, it's kind of silly that it's a cartoon character, but you know, the message is the message, right? Um, yeah. my other, my other go-to is, uh, is Daniel Tiger. That's probably Aye. my favorite kids show, but of course I grew up on Fred Rogers. Right. And you said earlier about, uh, yeah. about if you're in a situation, you, you think, what would my dad do? And then you do the opposite of that. More recently, I have been thinking when I'm in a situation, well, what would Mr. Rogers do in this situation? Yeah. And so um, that's been helpful in guiding me. Um, to to kind of segue off of the stereotype thing, and, you know, we've talked so far at length about men's mental health issues. What do you think – or can you talk about your experience and your just 
perception, your point of view, your thoughts on societal expectations around men's willingness to address mental health issues, men's mental health issues in general, and um, why it seems to me, it seems that there's still this stigma around men seeking help or he's seeking support for their mental issues. But you've got you've got some experience there that I don't have. And I would love to hear your your thoughts on that. Well, in for me, mental health, it, I have only recently, uh, with a, a good friend of mine, he hosts uh, Men's Suicide in Australia, and he's fighting for a minister for men. But because I've had involvement talking with him, he has started to explain that it's not all mental health. That is not the main reason why we have such a stigma, it can be situational distress as well. It can be that uh, because of the pandemic, you lose, you lost your job. Uh, you had a fight with your partner and now they're taking you through the court. Um, those aren't mental health things. They're, they're things that happen in your life that are very unfortunate, but at the same time, you've got to figure it out just like mental health in a lot of ways. Uh, my, I think there is a big stigma. And as you said, you're, you're a few years older than I am, but we had very similar uh, family things where the man was very quiet, reserved. The mother was the carer. And uh, yeah, you're starting to see that drift off a little bit as the generations keep improving. But as we've discussed um, previous conversations, that we basically, the goal, I believe, whether you've got mental health, situational um, ideations and the things like that, is that we need to be better than the, the last generation. We need to see what what mistakes or what things, but that is a slippery slope too, because then you're getting to the point where I'm, I don't, I very loosely want to say that it's lazy parenting, because I think that the tools that they've been given is what they use. But to smack a child, for instance, to me, that is just one way that I know if I did do that, I would get the results that a lot of them are saying, that's what you get. But I don't think in terms of a relationship with your children, you're going to get the same impact of actually being a conscious parent and actually being involved with them and experiencing life I mean, how many times could you, let's say that your father and you went down to uh, to have dinner somewhere and then all of a sudden you back chat, would, would your dad smack you as an adult? No. For some reason, as a, as a kid, that's acceptable. But later in life, if, if you're trying to teach a person a lesson, you don't go and smack him, you don't hit him. You, you try and resolve it like actual men. And I think that's, there's a big stigma towards being a dominant force and dominance equaling violence in the same thing. It's a very slippery slope. I, I think a lot of people are basically saying, oh, well, then I'll just hit my kids and I'll tell them that I'm going to take everything away from them because that's a quick result. Right. And again, I, I don't think it's lazy parenting, but I, I think that there's other ways that you could do and because that happened in the last generation doesn't necessarily mean that we can br we bring that into the next one. Right. Well, it, it, it might be lazy. It might not. It's, 
it's lazy in the sense that these are the tools that I inherited to, to navigate this situation. And I am not going to look outside of this toolbox that I already have for anything new. This is just how I'm going to do it. That's, that's lazy. And it's the, um, I, I, I think that willful ignorance is the highest form of arrogance, right? It's like, it's so arrogant to think, well, I turned out okay, but you're, you're saying it's okay to hit a two-year-old. You were clearly not okay in that area, right? Um, yeah. So it, it's lazy in that sense that if if you just cling to tradition, which I'm fond of saying is peer pressure to dead people, um, if you cling to that and say this is how it has to be because this is the way it was, that's lazy. If you do it because you just don't know any different and you're not even sure where to start looking, that's not being lazy. That's just being confused or being you know wanting to do something differently wanting to do it better but not knowing how is not lazy so you know i I think it's very much an individual uh thing on there too but something that that uh, i think doesn't get addressed often enough in regards to specifically spanking or hitting a child and i rarely ever say spanking i always call it hitting because you're hitting another person right yeah yeah and, and it's like you said that uh, um, in any other situation, if it was you and your spouse, that's domestic abuse. If it was you and your elderly parent who's in a nursing home with dementia and they're not doing what you want them to do and you smack them, that's elder abuse, right? If you do it to your dog or your cat, that's animal abuse. You know, if it, if uh, if someone in the in law enforcement does it to a citizen, it's police brutality, right? Mm. Um, But for some reason, it's acceptable that, okay, here's this little kid who is looking to me for everything. And my way of, of helping them figure out how to navigate the world is to hit them when they don't do what I want them to do, you know? And, and the most ridiculous thing that i can think of in terms of that is one kid hits another kid and then the parent spanks the kid saying we don't hit in this house you know they just they and and it's lazy in the sense that they don't stop to think through the the absolute logical fallacies that are going on there um i think and and i read this in an article once i'm going to kind of paraphrase what the article said that that what a lot of people won't admit is that when they participate in hitting a child that way there's an emotional release and a sense of power that comes with that right they feel frustrated because they don't have control over this child and whatever societal expectations are or parental expectations are rearing their head and so when they hit the child the kid usually will stop doing what they're doing and start crying and the adult feels vindicated at that point right their their frustration and their anger gets released and the worst possible thing about that is they believe that since the child stopped doing the thing that quote unquote, it worked and that now this is the way to handle this. And with men, especially to kind of tie this back into the mental health aspect, um, so many unpleasant or, or unwanted um, emotions that we have as men, like fear or loss or grief or shame wind up being expressed as anger because we've been told from an early age, men don't cry, boys don't cry. Right. And so then the the only way to not cry is to become aggressive with any of that stuff. And so, yeah, 
smacking a kid around for not doing what you want them to do is um it, it just doesn't make sense if you stop and think about it uh, well that's the thing is like i don't know how many you've seen with the smacky and i i try to monitor the smacky conversation because that's a very popular one uh, a lot of people have various different thought processes towards smacking him but as you said before there is a level of release for the frustration and that in a sense a lot of people say oh it's just you know it's just a light tap on the bum like and, and you could demonstrate and it wouldn't hurt but the fact is psychologically you're doing that in front in a public space uh, it's really demeaning the child as well but on top of that is that you are you're creating this environment where it's got to be based on the level of your aggression, isn't it? So let's say, I don't know, kid chucks a tantrum at a shopping center. You might pat him on the bum that time, but then child runs out on a road and almost gets hit by a car. Your adrenaline's already rushed. Um, you don't know how to express it. So you actually give mm. them a more firmer smack. So the, the degree of thing is based on how you're feeling for the day. And a lot of people are justifying, oh, it's just, a, you know, it's a light tap. Like, I, I never go f further than that. Well, you haven't been put in that situation yet, have you? Right. You're playing with a really dangerous thing. It's it's like being in a boxing match and you're feeling other people, but then all of a sudden the actual fight's going to happen. Your emotions are going to be driving. And this is the quick solution. And you really want to send that message home. You're going to be a little bit harder on your smack, aren't you? Definitely. And I, I sometimes compare it to the idea of um, let's assume that we're in a monogamous re relationship with our partner um, and we're out somewhere and we decide, hey, this this other person's cute. I'm just going to go smack her on the butt and flirt with her a little bit. Is that OK? Yep. I mean, you didn't do uh, anything, yeah. you know, uh, it's yeah. just it, it, it's not enough to matter. Out of the but, but like emotionally, what what is that? what does that set up? And it's the same sort of thing. You know, um, I think that that, uh, <clears throat> that, that same sort of thing is a justification that a lot of men who are addicted to, to porn will, will bring out too. you know, well, it's just porn. I'm not hurting anybody, but, hmm. but is that true? You know? Yeah. I, I think everything has a, a degree of extremity towards it. And that's that's basically what we're doing, isn't it? It's we are because if you if you look at the word masculinity, power, aggression, and, and not in terms of being violent and such, but just being a more powerful body than a female body, you have to have a little bit of restraint as well. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that works for everything. You you could have. And I was actually talking to my wife, uh, I think it was last night about it. There needs to be that point where a female can accept a level of dominance. They actually enjoy, you know, like having a protective man around and the man feels powerful. He feels like, yes, this is, but then that could easily further down the track lead into something like possessive within your spouse or, or having a more more direct uh, kind of like an impact towards your kids where you start thinking, oh, well, if, if they like, if she likes dominance, then maybe I can instill that into my own children as well. Right. And, and that's where everything 
Absolutely. Everything you do has an extreme towards it. And that's what we have to do as men and female. But in terms of talking about men is that if we have power, we can harness strength and power, but we also need to exercise discipline too. A lot like martial arts in a way. Yeah. Right. And I think that 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 ties in very nicely with the, the thing we're talking about with spanking is really what we're talking about, especially with little kids, the age of ours and, 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 you know, young kids that way, they are experiencing the same intensity of emotion that you and I would experience over something that's really, really big, right? Like the story that I tell sometimes is my son, when he was about three and a half, got a new Spider-Man water bottle, little metal water bottle. And he immediately dropped it and put the tiniest little scratch that you, you know, couldn't even see on it. Um, and then of course, four or five months later, all the paint's chipped off and it's, you know, cause it's been in the hands of a toddler the whole time. But at the moment of dropping it and putting that little scratch on it, he got extremely upset because it was new and, yeah. and he knew as best that he could process it at the time that it was his fault. It was his mistake. And he was very upset about it. And he was, it's ruined. I'll never be able to use it. You know, he was just very upset about it. And I think that a situation like that in the era that I grew up in, the kid would be told it's no big deal. The kid would be told, stop crying. The kid would be told, you know, any emotion that he's experiencing would be sort of invalidated. And he's kind of told to just go on about his business, but he doesn't have the tools to to deal with it. If we put that into perspective as an adult, let's say that let's say that you're into cars, or if you're like me, you're into guitars, right? And you've yeah. you've wanted this particular vehicle or this particular instrument. It doesn't really matter what it is for a long time, and you've worked towards it, and you saved up, and you finally have it, and you're so happy, and you're so grateful for it. And the very first thing you do is drop it and scratch it, or the very first thing you do is you run into one of those little things to the gas pump and put a scratch on your on your new vehicle. Yeah. How would that feel? You know, it was like yeah. oh, I've waited for this so long, and now I've damaged it straight out of the gate. And then, you know, just talking about it, I can kind of empathize and feel that sinking feeling and i'm like that level of intensity is what he was feeling about that water bottle and it doesn't matter what the what the actual details are the feeling is real to him and in addition to that he's not equipped with the understanding of it's not really a big deal it's just a water bottle he doesn't know how to process those emotions how to deal with it and so what is my role as a dad there is it to shut him down and make him stop crying like a little sissy or is it to say yes this sucks and this is why we don't deliberately throw things and you know all of the potential life lessons that are wrapped up in that moment between what to do how to do it how to regulate yourself all of that stuff is there and it's a chance to to do better than we were brought up so yeah like uh with that it's i I try. I I'm gonna be honest with you. Like, I think the difference between we have thoughts inside our head, and it can be, it could be like random weird thoughts. It could be aggressive kind of thoughts. But the fact is that it needs to almost stay in your head. You can't act. You can't word. And that's when your your sort of aggression ends up leading towards that. But as you said both things have a raw emotion towards it. Mm-hmm. You have, you, you've got this brand new thing that you've worked hard for and all of a sudden 
it's no longer perfect anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, you bang on the money with it. It's, I'm only now, and I'm 39, I'm only now starting to think to myself, like, because I work very hard for a physical demanding job for my stuff. But if something gets damaged, especially if, say, my child damages it, I am starting to process that in my mind and then filter out, okay, well, I can have all these emotions. I can be upset. I could cry if I wanted to. I could have go through all these processes of things. But at the end, it all comes down to how you're going to deal with the situation as you go. And, and as you said, it, it's not a fact of you say, stop being like, if it's a boy, you don't say, all right, well, stop crying. That You're being a sissy here. Like, boys don't cry. Uh, suck it up. All that kind of motivational thing. You may be able to internalize that to yourself, and that might be your driving force in order to feel a bit better. But for a child, as you said, it, it's a raw emotion. They, they don't have the tools you have. And even, and as I said, at 39, I've had 39 years of life to try and, figure out how I can calm myself down personally. And we're expecting children to be like that. Right. We're just saying, no, right. just shut up and deal with it. That's life kind of thing. But the, and that's, and that's where I think that we have quite a good connection in our beliefs is that that is a valuable lesson to teach a child of how you can deal with the situation not just shut up it's just like all right well let's let's analyze your situation all right it's an extreme you've you've damaged your bottle okay is it still usable yes it is okay so that's a positive um does can you still see the picture yes you can it's still a physical thing you can still get your benefit from it and start figuring out ways where you can find solutions towards it it's not just because it's it's a small dent and now it's broken it's you throw it in the bin kind of thing right because i don't think you'll do that with a guitar would you if you accidentally no. scratched it no no, no. It was I, like a les paul or something like that yeah that's funny you say that i, I literally in view right over there is my les paul so um yeah right. sitting on its stand and i've got i've actually i'm i may have swung too far in the other direction on it recently but like my son comes in my office here and he you know if he wants to fool about on my guitars and stuff. Sure. Let's do it or whatever. Um, um, but I'm at the point now I'm like, if he scratches it, is that a big deal that it's scratched or is it kind of cute that my son, this scratch came from when you were five years old and yeah, you know, that's right. And, and you know, but I've had the guitar since, you know, 1988. So it's, it's got some, it's been a little bit beat up, but, um, yeah. but that whole idea of, of, expecting a child to navigate an emotional landscape that's new and very intense when the role model themselves, the dad or the mom is not able to do it themselves. And the go-to is yeah. just like, well, I, and, cause a lot of times what I think is being said there is like, when I was a kid, I wasn't allowed to express myself the way you are right now. I'm not comfortable with you expressing this. So I need you to just shut up. Because it's making me yeah. uncomfortable. And now I can dominate. I can attempt to feel better about my inability to express myself as a kid by shutting you down. You know, there's that, it's like that uh, paraphrase from that article I was talking about earlier. You know, it, it uh, there's a sense of, of 
vindication that goes along with that. And that's why we call them generational cycles, right? I mean, it's just stuff that we're inheriting and passing on often without even stopping to think about it. Um, so to, to that point, what are like the biggest challenges that you have or that you see in the group that men have as a dad in breaking those generational cycles? Well, in, cause I, I do have, I'm obviously in other dad groups too. So I can, I, I'm not trying to say that we are the best. I'm just saying that we are putting those things in motion. We're asking, and I think a lot of dads are actually prompting other dads about a different way of thinking too. And, and it's, it's very refreshing, but we're in no way perfect. And I don't think, well, I think the last time we had about 54,000 people, not everyone's going to be on the same wavelength. Sure. Everyone's, and, and I think, I don't know how it ended up working, but it doesn't bother me either way. But I think we're about 80% American pretty much in that group. And I don't know a lot about American culture, but I do know it was very military driven. And a lot of people do have that pride and uh, maybe their father was, in the military or their grandfather was in the military and that level of discipline has tried to pass down. But I, I don't know if that's a societal thing, but in terms of our group, I see a lot of that. It was like my father, he served this country uh, and I want to instill the same morals and beliefs and the way that they learned how to learn about their morals and beliefs was being put under stressful situations. And they're basically saying this, you've just got to, jump in and you've got to figure it out and that's what i think a lot of the dads in other dads groups and it's, again it's not just america it's a way of believing for a lot of dads and i think the stigma has come to that point where you basically say all right well i don't care i'm just gonna do this to my child and that's how i was raised and that's how it is and that's when you're saying that the generation thing has to be better because if we're just going to keep passing on the same cycle every single time, are we going to evolve as men or are we just going to stay this subtle, we only work, we don't say nothing kind of race? Because I know for a fact, I don't want to be like that. I don't right. want my, I don't want my kids to look back at me and say, all right, well, yeah, my father was a hard worker. He was strict and everything like that. But can you honestly say that your child could say that my father loved me and that part comes to and, and that's the various degree between masculine and feminine because as hunters gatherers and manly men and stuff like that we were taught to just deal with things and that that is a masculine trait and i think that's a a trait that a lot of people can harness is that they can find strength within themselves but the fact is you need to have a little bit of feminine nurturing when it comes towards looking after a child. Does that make sense? So it's basically, long story short, like if what I see in the in the dad's group that is a, a repeating thing is that fact that uh, I'm raising men. Even as a, if you're raising a daughter, like you don't have a daughter, you just got your son, don't you? Correct. Yeah. So when I've, my first child was a daughter, Instantly inside my head, I thought I'm going to have to be a bit softer for her. Like that was just my primal thought as a father is that 
I'm going to have to somehow figure out how uh, I'm going to challenge, how do I add my masculine quality to my daughter who is a female or mm. going to be grown as a female and a lady. And if, if she lost her mother for whatever God reason, and I have to raise this child, how do I channel that? I, I don't know how to channel feminine if I'm more masculine. You need to have that level of balance between the two. And then when I, my son came into the world, it, I think because after three years of dealing with uh, female kind of attitudes and everything kind of a little bit dramatized and things like that, I think I kind of, I think if it was the other way around, I may have said, oh, well, you know, I'm going to try and teach my boy to be as strong as possible. And then if, it was my daughter that was second. I'd be like, well, now my son has to look after her because she's a female kind of thing and try and instill that little belief in there. But I think in terms of trying to, um, try to instill your masculine strength towards your children, I think there has to be a various degree. But at the same time, we're trying to, well, I am trying to raise both of my kids the same. I want them to both be powerful. I want them both to be uh channel their emotions i want them both to be able to deal with situations and i don't want to have to say to my daughter you know what your car broke down on the side of the road daddy's coming because you don't know how to do it yourself right i want her to be able to say you know what i'm going to pull out a jack i'm going to i've been taught this it doesn't matter if she's female or not that's a life skill i mean how many vulnerable women are out there just say oh i'm woe is me i'm on the side of the road and i can't do anything until a real man comes along right right and and the, uh, the other the, the other side of that coin is one of the some of the the most fun most precious cherished bonding moments that i've had with my son is either him and me or him me and his mother all in the kitchen cooking yeah right I mean, it's, it's, or, or, or cleaning up the house, you know, things that, that painting with broad strokes, like changing a tire, that's a man's job cooking and cleaning. That's a woman's job. You know, these, these rampant stereotypes like that, but you said it, you nailed it. You said they're not gender roles, they're life skills. Absolutely. Well, it's build strength in anyone. And, and that's the whole point is that there are women out there that want a man to do these things for it. And that's fine. And there might be men that want women to depend on them. And that's fine. It's completely fine. It, the, the trick is it needs to be consensual as well. It needs to be agreed upon that. Okay. Well, and I was watching this thing the other day, it was like a James Bond film. And I don't know if you know a lot of that James Bond, but with his women, he asserts his strength to mm-hmm. kind of take over and then passively kiss her at the end. And then she kind of surrenders to that whole situation, which is fine. It's romantic for that story if it's consensual. Right. But then if you did that to a woman that did not want that and, and they're trying to instill like that's the aggressive side to it, then that's borderline abuse. Like that's sexual assault. You know, There's, you have to have that variance of kind of degree towards it. Well, and there's, I think in, in fictional works like that, along with the stereotype kind of stuff for dads that we talked about earlier, there's a lot of just, um, 
either outdated or genuinely harmful things that have been glorified as entertainment. And the the thing that that I thought of when you were talking about that with James Bond, yeah, everybody loves James Bond, right? I mean, he's yeah, wow, I mean, it's not cool to love about that. But but we also have to realize that that that's a a, a two dimensional representation of a character, and that's not the way that we actually live our lives. the 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 thing that that made me think of though is in fairy tales, like in Snow White and like in Sleeping Beauty. If we think about that for a minute, you've got this woman, this girl, this young girl, woman, whatever age she happens to be, who is rendered unconscious through some magic spell. And the way that she is is woken up is some random dude comes out and kisses her. Complete. And I'm like, what what does that teach? And it's 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 a fairy tale. It's an entertaining story. And I understand that 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 it's meant to parallel the hero's journey of the hero goes out and recover, you know, slays the dragon and recovers the, the prize. And I, I understand that completely, but in detail, what it's teaching is that it's okay for a guy to try to make out with a girl when she's unconscious. Yeah. And what yeah, does that say right. about consent? Your magical kiss is going to heal everything. Yeah, she's been waiting for it. Uh, she's yeah, been waiting it's for it. She a needs a bad it. message. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So, well, that, you know, that's the other thing is like there's um uh, there's I don't know if you've seen uh the old and new Mulan. Uh, Mulan. You you remember Mulan with uh the girl and she's trying to uh save her family's honor and she cuts her hair and she pretends that she's like the mm -hmm. the far the boy. Yeah. The first one, she was very masculine and all everyone was ridiculing her and she was trying to strive up and be into a man's world and adapt and everything like that. But then you find the second one, she's she settled after the war and now she's like this perfect being, kind of perfect feminine sort of side to it. They completely changed the genders and then I found out that the first one was written by a man directed by a man and the second one was directed by a female and you can see the various differences between the two and, and i think that Milan message that that was kind of broke the barriers with that whole fairy tale thing is that okay well yes she's female and everything like that but she she can pose as male she can do male things mm -hmm. and she end up being like this she saved the world pretty much as her own heroine not waiting for some kind of heroin guy. And, and that's the thing is that there was a heroin guy, but they didn't focus on that part. Right. And, and that's right. a lot of those lessons, like that whole unconscious thing. And I think it was Shrek as well. Shrek had the similar style where she was, she was preparing. She set the flowers up and she was all like preparing her, like seeing if she looked good for a captor and everything like that it was right. absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> like, what are we actually instilling in our children with that? Yeah. And, you know, and Beauty and the Beast is another example, right? Yep. yep. And that was a very dominant role too. Yep. Yep. Um, I think, yeah, I think that there's, there's misconceptions or misassignments of, for both masculine and feminine, but I, I tend to talk more about masculinity on, on, you know, when I'm having these conversations because masculinity is it my opinion on it is it's an energy 
Yeah. Masculinity itself and femininity as well. It has to be because they're, they're the opposite ends of the same spectrum, but it's, it's an energetic thing, right? And a man or a woman can bring masculine or feminine energy to a given situation as needed. Just like you said earlier with, uh, with a little kid or, you know, boy or girl with a little kid, we, we, as men need to know how to, to dial it back and to be, um, compassionate and to be empathetic and to be supportive and nurturing all of all of those things and not just assertive and dominant and what's the problem let's go find the solution with a straight line you know uh, to we have to do that in order to teach our kids the emotional resilience that they're going to need to navigate the world and the you were you were talking earlier about things that pop up in the group one of the things that pops up in in a lot of the groups i don't know that i've um, noticed or paid attention of it, of it popping up in the dad's assisting dads club. But, um, when we start talking about being compassionate, being understanding, meeting, you know, a four or five-year-old kid where they are and helping them understand their emotions and to regulate it very often responses in the comments come up with essentially some variation on, well, the world doesn't give a fuck about your feelings. It's a harsh place out there. And the sooner you learn that, the better off you're going to be. And I'm like, Okay, there's an element of truth to that. That you know, yeah. once once you're grown and you're out in the world, there are going to be things that that are upsetting, and no one cares, right? I mean, it's just the people that are close to you care, but but you know, no one's going to care about it as much as you do. So, is the best way to prepare a child for that to expose them to that at age four, or is the best way to prepare a child for the the harshness of the world? to allow them to experience the emotions, teach them how to regulate that within themselves so that then they can go out into that world and make it less harsh. They can go out and yeah, be the person absolutely. who cares about someone else. And, and that's my thoughts on it. And if we think about how that would then affect mental health as a whole, if there were more people who could be compassionate, be empathetic like that, I think it falls on us as men to demonstrate that. And, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Well, with that, it's, yeah, there's a whole lot of the the de feminine and masculine degree. It's, I think, as you said, when we first started chatting, it's, it has to do, like, you don't have that manual when you're born or raised. You're not given this book. We have books. We have parenting books. But it's not like, uh, oh, everyone, this is, this is the guy, this is the Bible to how to be a masculine father in, in a child's life. If you don't do it this way, you're going to have messed up children. Like there's nothing that is like that. Everyone, even the experts have various degrees and different changes in the thought process and everything like that. That is what gets me and what I've noticed. And it's not just fathers, but it's men in general is that do we have guides? If, if you, if you broke down and said, okay, if I had to define what the definition of a masculine man is, what would you say would be classed as a trait for a masculine man? I'd go maybe loyalty, and, and I would go maybe uh, to a point of aggression, but not. it's more like the passion, the drive to do that. It, it's not like being forceful against a woman or anything like that. There's strength. Uh, uh, our body strength is a lot our muscle density is a lot 
stronger than a female, like the protected side to that. But does that mean, all right, so their masculine trait, if we all agree that that is it, does that mean that a woman can't have those traits? Does she not feel driven in a career? Can she not be assertive towards certain things as well? And that's, that's the point is that so many men are that driven to try and find those labels where those labels don't actually really matter. They, they mean shit. The fact of the matter is we are all human. We all live a human experience. We are all dealing with every situation the same. It, if you want to be a masculine man, I think the most masculine thing a male can do is the things that generally most men don't want to do. And it seems to be in those groups and all men groups and things is that they don't want to be empathetic because they think empathetic is being weak. Right. They, they think that having that level of emotion or going through their trauma as a child, because as we said, if you smack a child, generally you've been smacked yourself. And then they say, oh, there's nothing wrong with me. You're smacking your child because that is the reaction that you were raised yourself. You're mm-hmm. passing that generational thing towards it. And that's what I get to is that there needs to be kind of like a rage between what defines as a masculine, but it needs to stop at a certain point. It needs to get to a point where it's like, oh, only men can do that. Because that, right. that's how we get dominated government men top, top heavy in the masculine side. And then it ends up hitting things like, um, you know, like wars and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Do you, I'll ask you a question and I asked my wife the other time, um, do you think if we didn't have in the, say, the 60s, we didn't have that feminist raise up against um, their rights and they didn't get to vote and everything, do you think we would have wars if a female, it was a mainly female-driven government? I do think that we would still have wars because we you will all, I do. And, and I, th- I think that's because there will always be people who fundamentally at a deep core value level disagree with other people to the point that you are, so, you are so wrong. I'm willing to take your life and your land over it. I think, I don't think that's, uh, I, I think, I think that's a human trait, not a male or female trait. However, I think that, um, you know, I said earlier that that masculinity and femininity are energy. And we talk sometime about, um, like, I don't know if you remember the post that I made in the group a while back with the clip from the book and the person had gone in and, and, uh, it was the character in the book, um, the critter that cares and he was upset and it's, it said, I, I was sad. I wanted to cry, but I didn't, I was brave. And someone had gone in and, and marked out, uh, I was sad. I wanted I to cry. I so that. I did. Um, yeah. I was, I was brave and I cried anyway. Um, I think that you caused a lot, you got a lot of flack for that too. I did get you? a lot of flack for that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and, and I would proudly do it again. And I stand, and I would yeah. love to have someone who was giving me all of that heat to come on this show and debate this face to face, man to man. And I haven't found anybody that's Absolutely. willing to do that yet, but, um, no, of <laughs> but, but the, but the idea of, of just that energetic expression of masculine versus feminine, I think that if, the political landscape, instead of being dominated by men, was dominated by women. 
that war would still exist, absolutely, but I think that it would be a much more covert, much uh, probably, uh, it would be equally lethal to people everywhere, but it wouldn't be presented in the same way. I don't think that there would be, you know, jets flying over, dropping bombs. I think that it would be more like, let's poison their water supply. You know, I, yeah, th I, I think that, tactics. yeah. And, 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 and I think that that is how the, the shadow side of masculine and feminine energy are expressed, right? You you said something earlier about um, masculinity and aggressiveness, but not in a in a in a negative way. Um, I tend, in my own thought process, to refer to that as being dangerously aggressive versus being very assertive, right? Assertive yeah, is I'm yeah. going after the thing, but I'm not hurting anyone when I do it. Aggressive is I'm taking out everything that's between me and the goal. Fuck them. Right. And that's yeah. my interpretation of it. I think that feminine energy being what it is, um, being I don't want to say soft and imply that that means that it's weak, but but more um, fluid. Right. Yeah. Pliable. Um, pliable. Yeah. Soft in that sense that that I think that if it if war were a feminine dominated activity, which, you know, again, everything has aspects of, of masculine and feminine, that it would be much more like the, the, the news reports that we would hear wouldn't be that bombs went off and blew up city blocks in some, some country somewhere. The news reports would be that everyone in a, in a, you know, a, a three kilometer radius died because they were poisoned by water or gas or, or something like that. And it just happened, and yeah. no one saw it coming. Um, yeah, things be much more covert. Yeah, that, that's, like that. Well, that's the same kind of conclusion <clears throat> I had with my wife, and, and she said <clears throat> straight off, she would think that there would be there'd be a certain amount of women out there that are like that, and obviously, this female serial killers, and they have that intent. But as you said, like they 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 couldn't go out in the media and say, "I'm going to send out." I don't know, 50,000 troops and they might not make it alive. They, I don't think that they would say that and sacrifice in a nurtured kind of said, but saying that at the same time, mysteriously, a whole town suddenly died. Mm -hmm. Like it, it is a very sneaky tactic. I completely agree that that level of tactism is both there in both genders as a humanity. It's a tragic event that we are facing even now. Yeah. And, roles reversed it would just it would just be more of a political stuff right. between the two yeah right and i i think too from a from a a presentation to the media standpoint a polished politician who can come out and and do politician stuff right and present stuff i think that the the masculine expression of that is what we see very much i'm sending out 50,000 troops these are our heroes not all of them are going to come back but we're we're fighting the good fight and we're going to defeat the enemy, right? I think that yeah. the feminine approach to that, and I, I am literally thinking out loud right now, so I reserve the right to change my mind on any of this, but I think that the feminine approach to that would be not we're going to go out and kick their asses. It's going to be we're going to send these troops out to protect our home and to make yeah. sure that it's and make sure that everyone here is unaffected by the evil that that the other side is bringing to us. And I think yeah. that is the masculine and feminine expression of it, right? I, um, we talk about masculinity and providing and protecting. 
But if we like trace that back to caveman times, while the man's out hunting and the women are back gathering, who's actually protecting the old and the young? It would be the women, right? Well, that's right. Yeah. So, so the, and, and, you know, the, the term mama bear gets thrown up a lot when we talk about someone uh, potentially threatening a kid and a woman going into a very aggressive masculine approach to it, but she's coming from a feminine foundation. And I think that's what that mama bear protectiveness is. Yeah. Protection. Yeah. 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 I, I completely agree. I, I, the, the second part to, like the female thing is that why don't we have a more female driven side? Why is it mainly male predominant? And that's, that's when it comes to the whole, I know this whole podcast is about like masculinity and thing, but I'm trying to break down the barriers of what in terms of the humanity, like humanity is. And if we, I think there's either two degrees towards why we don't have more females in that kind of role. Is that one? I don't. And again, I, I'm thinking out loud. I reserve the right to change my mind. But that's the whole show, right there. A, yeah, that's right. <laughs> but um, I think that with a female, I don't think that they will come across as making those executive decisions that are going to sacrifice a lot of lives. And as you said, I think. But if you mix the two together and you had more of a 50-50 balance between men and female in a government role, I think that any government would run a lot smoother because you need to aspect, you need to put that whole protective, yes, we're looking after our family thing, that, that whole female energy towards that to calm people down and say, okay, well, this is a tragic event. But at the same time, you need that masculine energy that's going to go ahead and actually make some change into the world. And that, that's what I think honestly is that there's, there is a level of egotism with masculinity is that the fact that uh, I honestly think that the reason why we don't have more female is either two things. They're either extremely afraid because they'll do a better job or they're so egotistical that they just want to prove that man is the more su superior human towards the two. I yeah. can't think of any other degree between the two. Yeah. And it's probably a blend of both. If, if we, you know, really start yeah. analyzing it like that. Yeah. And that's what I mean is that it's, but we're so focused, even as kids, I, I don't know, you're, you're instilling really good beliefs in your child, but I don't know if, You've ever noticed if the, uh, your boy's at a playground and there's a girl and if she's trying to do something, he'll be like, oh, well, I can climb that. And then there's that level of the energy where a man's like, oh, I can compete with you with that. Mm -hmm. Like, I could do that better. I could jump higher. I could do that kind of thing. I think that still is very relevant into today's society. Mm -hmm. We we look at each other and we say, oh, well, I'm better at doing that. Well, I'm better at doing that. But cohesion and balance is what is needed between the two. Definitely. And, we, we, and that's when, when it comes to like feminism in terms of the 60s and stuff and rising up. I think it was needed. I think that they needed to make an example and say no females. Are there. But what were men doing before all that? They were going into war. Boys were going into war like as like seven, eight years old boys. And they talk about oppression. 
what what was that part before it all sub- suddenly happened? We dealt with a lot of things, but the thing is, in terms of a male aspect, is that we just accepted it. We just let it go, and we didn't stick up like a media or a thing like that. And that's why a lot of it's just basically, I don't know, it's kind of long-winded, but it, it's always like we are in competition with each other. But in, in fact, it, it's we couldn't have a strictly male world and we can't have a strictly female world. It's right. our biological impacts of creating children and everything like that and breeding and as a humanity. We need both. Even if the females are saying, oh, yeah, but we could have, you know, children without fathers or anything. But you, you need sperm. Yeah. At the, at the bottom end, you need sperm. You can't recreate that right now. Right. Yeah, uh, it, it, yeah it's, it's just a funny one. And, and I think that's, it just brings you back to that playground where boys are stronger, boys can climb more, or girls are more empathetic. And that, that's the problem, I think, where it leads into, like, toxic masculinity is the fact that you are trying to prove that your race is far superior but in in the long run it it doesn't mean shit does it right right um fortunately i have not had that experience with my son um in any sort of interaction with a, a little girl the only times that that sort of stuff has come up with him is when it's been a kid who's younger than him, regardless of their gender. And he, and he will, or older than him. And he like, that kid is faster than me and can climb the thing faster than me or stronger than me, but I'm younger than him or I'm littler than him or he's bigger than me. So that makes sense to him. And, you know, him being in the middle between the, he can play either side of that is what I'm saying. Um, I am fortunate yeah. in that he has a cousin who's about a year and a half older than him. That's a little girl. And she's a very assertive little girl. Um, yeah. Her, her parents have been very much. Um, yes, you can do this. You you're yeah. strong and you're capable. And so his, his initial exposure in a peer group to a girl was a very strong willed, very dominant type of little girl so i think that um the the influence that that's had is is definitely in there but uh yeah talking about boys and girls is just not something that i mean he his friends at his preschool that he goes to three days a week there's a group of, of four little boys and they go do whatever they do you know and and it's it's always yeah. boy things that they're doing but there are girls there too that, that play right along with them and sometimes um when he first started going to that school, he he decided that this little girl that was there was going to be his best friend, and they got along really, really well, and it was great. And then about three or four months into it, um, she wound up not being at the school anymore um, because yeah. the, the family was moving away. So it's, it's a longer story than that, but like that friendship sort of got severed because of circumstances. They weren't around each other much anymore, and he started making friends with boys then. But I, I haven't yet seen anything like that, and I... I haven't actually directly thought about it, but um, as far as I know, just from from the way he acts, he doesn't really see boys and girls as being, you know, girls do this and boys do that. It's more a matter of just that's a girl. And, you know, he's he's figured out that the um, the plumbing's different, that, you know, boys have a penis and girls don't. But, <laughs> yeah, you know, that's just funny. <laughs> it's yeah. like it's like boys have a penis 
girls have a, a vagina and everybody farts. That's kind of where he is with it. <laughs> well, it's a complete fact. <laughs> yep. yep. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. But there, there's got to be a point in his life where he's got to go and there's got to be a girly girl that has a Barbie doll and doesn't want to play monster trucks or doesn't mm-hmm. want to play what he's used to because he was playing with the boys. And I think I see that aspect because my first child was a girl and she's she's trying to play with my boy with dolls. And I, I, I don't care if he plays sure. with a Barbie doll. I honestly don't. Like, I don't feel any masculinity. I don't think that I'm a bad child for them play. It's a toy. You know, right. it's at the end, it's they want to do it. But given that, is that because the exposure's there, but where does it lie where, and I, I think the way you're raising your child is that it's not going to be about um, the competition because you want to instill these actual core morals into your child. He may feel like that and say, oh, dad, I, I had, there was this new girl in here and she didn't want to play monster truck. She just wanted to play Barbie dolls with me. And I, I don't know whether I should play Barbie dolls and everything. That is your moment to time as right. a father. That's, that's your thought. You can either say, oh, that's right, boys don't play with Barbie dolls. You did the right thing, son. Go and play monster trucks. Or you can say, hey, did you want to play? You know, like, we, well, my, my girl, she's in kinder now, and there's a few boys in there, like, and they play these things called, like, um, what's it, babies, babies and dinosaurs or something like that. So all the boys end up being dinosaurs and then all the girls end up being like the mums to the babies and stuff like that. And, and they somehow incorporate it as one big thing. But then I think my girl had a, a, a small little argument with a boy because she wanted him to be a baby, but he was a boy. So he needed to be a dinosaur. Mm. And you have those various things. And then that's when you start saying, well, maybe it's not a, a fact that he wants to be a dinosaur. Maybe the fact is that just maybe the game you played, he didn't want to be involved with. And that's fine as well. Sure. You don't have to take that gender in order to do it. And you will, you will encounter it with school. You will encounter these really girly girls. And I think it ends up at our fault. If however they coming out is what we're going to be teaching them. Right. And if we're going to have old generation stigmas and say, no, monster trucks, stick with the monster truck, son, you know, stay in there. What kind of, you're just going to be creating a mini you again, are you? You're not instilling the humanity side to it. And that, that's the thing is that if we keep raising, and I honestly think that there are men out there and female on the both sides is that they, they think that preserving that level of, saying, no, that's what boys do and that's what girls do. I think there is a percentage of people who want to create mini-thems. Mm-hmm, they sure. want to be able to say, you know what, no, this is my belief and I'm going to instill that. Does that seem fair? That To me, that almost seems like if I was religious, I want my children to be religious. You're looking at the aspect of spiritualism, but at the same time, they might not, they might not agree with God's morals. They might go into a more Buddhist side. Mm-hmm. But the fact is that you are instilling your core belief. They're taking what they can with it, leaving the rest, and then they carry on with them. So even if everyone believes in like a Christian God and you believe in a Buddha, you're still spiritual, aren't you? Right. It just depends on what aspect of spiritualism you are. They they all roughly have the same kind of morals towards them. 
don't kill people, live life, you know, and, and it's all great. But the fact is that they want to, some people want to create mini thems. Yep. And I, I don't think that's fair for children, personally. I agree with you completely. But, I mean, it, it, yeah. none, really, none of our kids asked to be here, right? No. And so we so, didn't ask to be here either. <laughs> right. Right. And so, and so whatever was, was forced on us was forced on us and whatever we force on our kids, we're forcing on our kids, but no one's asking for any of that stuff. Nope. Right. So yeah, yeah it's, it's, to me, it's much more important to, to assume the role of, of the guide and, and to, to, I almost always answer questions with questions that, that get my son to think about what he's, what he's asking rather than just give him the answer, you know? Right, yeah. And I think that... that, that that's a brilliant side to it. Yeah. Give them the option. And mm. if it's wrong, who makes that wrong? Is it determined it's wrong, the decision, because you say it's wrong? Yeah. Or like, And that's the thing, is that if you have a child, they say, oh, you know, why is the sky blue? And you say, oh, because it's some kind of molecular, I don't know, chemical compound into the sky, and that's why blue is... The, that doesn't make it true. It just means what you believe what it right. was. Right. And, and there could be mm -hmm. new evidence next week saying, no, it's blue because of this. And right. then you'll be like, oh, no, no, no. I, I was right because that's how I was taught. <laughs> well, and, and, and that's that sounds a little absurd to say it out loud, but there are people who are actively right now, as we're speaking, are actively engaged in arguments on the Internet about whether the earth is flat or round. Oh, yeah, for sure. The you flat know? earthers. Have you seen that meme where it says uh, everyone across the globe believe in flat earth? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think that's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> um, we've, we've talked quite a bit about generational cycles and, and all that. And, and um, I'm, I'm coming up on a time when I need to be done, but uh, couple, a couple things I wanted to touch on is I want to ask you what I'm about to ask you. And then I want to do some rapid fire and then we'll, we'll close it out today. Um, rapid fire questions. Yep. But one of the the generational things that I still see um, among people that I know personally, that I was taught when I was a kid, and that it'll pop up on the internet just about any time the subject comes up, is I was taught that if it's cold outside and you go outside or if you fall in cold water, you're going to catch the flu, you're going to get sick, you're probably going to die, it's terrible for you all that sort of stuff. Um, you and I both know now that getting in a cold tub, getting in a ice bath, getting in a frozen lake has tremendous mental, physical, and even spiritual oh, benefits absolutely. from my, my experience. So um, I yeah. wanted to, to use the idea of generational cycles around that as a segue into talking a little bit about cold exposure and, and what you do with that. Um, you just recently started the new Facebook group uh, for um cold plunging and yep. i just uh, tell us a little bit about that well honestly i i did not know much i only heard the word wim hof about probably three weeks four weeks ago oh okay and yeah like i i've seen i've known him as the ice man but i never took any note to it like i had no no connection towards cold it was actually a, a new guy that started at my work and he goes through all of it and that's what the other admin that was in there. And he was showing me like all these clips and sending me things. And I'm like, shit, yeah, this is kind of like a spiritual set. And I've always loved meditation and walking and all that. 
and I think it's great for the mental clarity, but the cold exposure, man, that is a completely other world, isn't it? It really I, is. I have been on medication and antidepressants since I was about 15, and that's created all sorts of issues with like liver and all that kind of things that come in connection with it. Not to mention that you're, you're dependent on it as well. But cold exposure, I'm actually looking like putting your body under a level of stress and then handling that stress inside of that has been absolutely amazing the last month. And I'm only starting to just touch the sides, but the, the group idea was to have the community of people backing you up. Because it's obviously, if you're going to go into like two degrees, even sub-zero degrees, you're going to want someone there in case something happens. Yes. And it can be that level of dangerous and hypothermia and all that. But the fact that everyone, as you said, everyone has this belief that you can get sick off it. And people are going into saunas and they're going into an ice bar and they're jumping into a sauna and they're going into an ice bar. To most people, mixing that body, like, if you think about it, like a lot of people would say, oh, that's an easy way of creating culture inside your body and you're going to be getting sick from that. In the last month, I have not been sick once. And my mental clarity has been pinpoint. I, before I even take medication, I'm actually, my next goal for next year is to actually go um, medicine-free in terms of mental health aspects. I, I want to, I honestly think that if I keep, going with cold exposure and doing breath work and everything like that, I'm not going to need anything. I'm just going to need my own mind. And to me, that is an absolute awakening. It's brilliant. It, and I've only recently myself, like I've seen you, you've, you've posted a few things that um, you've previously put up and like with your breath work and everything like that, I didn't even know that was your aspect towards that. And You've done it for many years, haven't you? Yeah, I um, I first got involved in the idea of of intentionally exposing myself to cold, probably two thousand eight, two thousand nine, and I was doing what 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 I learned was called uh, cold water dousing. You would just get a couple of uh big in the states they're five gallons. I don't know probably what twenty ish liters, uh yeah. buckets, and I would big leave buckets. them out yeah. and. Um, fill them with water to leave them out. And then, you know, if, if ice formed on them, that was even cooler. And you could break those. And you just pour them over you and, and you stand there and you do some breath work and then you're done, right? Yeah. And then eventually, um, this entire story would probably take an hour to tell. So I'm just going to hit the high points of it. Eventually, I ran across Wim Hof and I actually ran across his information or I noticed him for the first time Christmas of 2013 so like 10 years ago and my mom passed away early december 10 years ago so 10 years ago at this time of year i was grieving the loss of my mom and um i saw wim hoff on television and he was talking about um his experience with his uh first wife the mother of his of his older kids yeah. who was i'm i, I want to say she was schizophrenic i'm not 100 percent sure but anyway she took her own life and yeah he had always been into you know these spiritual things like that but that uh, the healing of that grief was part of his journey in in developing a more systemized approach and challenging himself with the cold and all that sort of stuff so it really spoke to me 
as I was watching that, it was at my in-laws house and it was Christmas night after everyone had gone to bed. And I was just watching TV, just processing as a grown man, my first Christmas without my mother on the planet. Um, so the short version of the story is, is all the books that were available. I ordered them the online course. I signed up for that. There was only one online course on his website at, at that time and started doing that stuff. And in February of the following year, I went out and, and tested myself in a, um, in a lake near where I lived. The water temperature was, um, 33 degrees Fahrenheit. So just above zero Celsius. I got one of those little, uh, thermometers, like you would drop into an aquarium and put it in the yeah. lake to, yeah. to get as accurate a representation as I could. And, um, the air temperature was, what was it like? around 20 degrees. So minus six, minus seven Fahrenheit. It was freaking cold. Right. Wow. And, yeah. and, um, I didn't realize until after the fact, what a horrible mistake I had made because I wasn't ready for that. I like grooving on it and I got the endorphins. I'm in the water, I actually shot it and it's on YouTube. Um, got all of that and the video is great. But when I got back to my car, everything that happens after started happening and I couldn't move my hands I couldn't get warm. I was shivering. And I'm like, I still have to drive home and I might die in this car is how I felt. So yep. fortunately, I had enough of an understanding of how the breath work thing happened that I was able to get my mental clarity, you know, stay focused on just being alive and my body recovered enough. But it was a it was a too much too soon kind of situation there. And so fast forward to 2016, Wim Hoff was doing a workshop in California for two days. So I signed up and I went and I found out then that, um, between doing the online course and doing that workshop that qualified me for the first American instructors course, which happened in, um, early November of that year, went and did that. And it was me and about 30 other people that spent a week in a cabin in the mountains of Colorado. And, you know, we, went and got in the lake and we had to make sure that we were walking quietly so that we didn't upset or spook the moose that were nearby, you know, yeah. uh, because if they turn around and take off running, they don't care what's in front of you or in front of them, you know, yeah. and, um, climbed a mountain with them. It was, it was phenomenal experience. And it was only this year that I let my instructor certification lapse because I'm really not doing anything with it anymore. You know, I would do a couple of workshops each year to, to, justify paying the yearly um licensing fee or whatever but i'm like i i know the stuff i can teach a workshop on th this if i want to it's just a matter of am i going to call it a wim hoff method workshop and i'll give credit where it's due but but yeah. i wasn't doing it as a professional you know but i do have that experience i've been doing it pretty diligently for the past 10 years and um <clears throat> happy that you invited me to that group so that i can meet other people who've been doing it a long time and also help people to avoid doing the kind of stuff that I did in the lake that day. Yeah. And I'm, I'm hoping that you, like, I, I haven't really, I found that one that you had with, uh, was mm. it that, that rail spike in the cold? Yeah. I watched that one. That was brilliant. But I, I think I might add more of your things because I think you said a, a really good message in terms of it between mental clarity and strength towards yes. it. It's, it's quite amazing really. And I think things like that, even the group is a local thing. It's a, a community driven, but the fact that you're in it is awesome. It is that you can bring a level that no one else can kind of bring towards that as well. I appreciate and that. The experience. Yeah, definitely. Like the experience that you have 
towards people that are just like going like tomorrow we're actually i don't know if you saw the post but we're gonna get a whole bunch of santa hats i got a uh a portable ice bar so we're gonna go to a beach on the side of the pier we're gonna get those buckets that you were talking about we're gonna fill it with water and everyone's gonna bring like a bag of ice so all the people that haven't had it we're gonna jump him in there and they're gonna have about two to three minutes they're gonna experience what two degrees or whatever we can get it to and open up more people in the community to experience it. And I, I think with we we do have a few people that have gone through Wibhoff as well. Like they've done the actual travel, they've gone over, they've as you said, done the hiking and yeah. had that actual experience of breath work and all that. And I think that is a valuable asset to have. But just in terms of like the basic level of being introduced to it. I, it is so good towards mental clarity for me that I instantly want to show everyone else. I want to bring everyone else into it. And if that, and and it's not, again, it's a humanity thing. It's female, male can do it. It's not a masculine thing, but it is a good way to segue your, your, your way of being masculine, like the fact of dealing with the situation, a stressful situation. And mm-hmm. even Wim Hof, he did that desert thing too. Yes. So, and he was applying the same methods to the cold, to the heat without, yep. and I thought, what, he lost about 5.2 liters of water or something like that doing it, but he was fine. He yeah. had, he said he had a, a few coffees before he went and then he, off he goes. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. The resilience <laughs> of the body. It is. And I think that, um, to kind of bring this back around to masculine feminine energy that we were talking about earlier, there's my Instagram feed is now littered with people who are doing cold plungers or doing ice baths or whatever. And usually it's some, some younger guy and he's kind of ripped and he's like doing a lot of chest beating and, and showing how hardcore he is getting in the ice. Um, and that's fine. That's not my experience at all. My experience is it's, it's, it's almost silence. It's just, for me, I have to, I I have to baseline myself. I have to get extremely calm in order to meet the force of the cult. And when I do that, I'm able to, it's not even endure or withstand. It's just connect with it, right? I think that the that bringing that that very fiery ah rah rah kind of hardcore masculine energy to it will allow you to get in the cold, sure. Yeah. But it also it becomes a um a an obstacle to overcome or a problem to solve. And the only obvious solution there ultimately is get out of the cold, right? That's yeah. the solution the way that I think about it, the way that I approach it is when I get in the cold, it's to connect with the cold and to, to connect with a deeper level of myself that, that, that environment of being in the cold facilitates because when I'm in, if if it's cold enough and I'm in the right state, like if the, if it's, you know, below freezing air and the water has ice in it and I get in it initially, there's that, that, that pushback physically. But then after 30 seconds or so, I go into this calm state that I was in before I got in. 
like I've deliberately calmed myself and, and my thought there is like, okay, I want to be one with this. Nothing else is coming into my mind. Like I'm not thinking about, you know, paying bills or whether or not, you know, what we're having for dinner or getting the oil changed in the truck or anything like that while I'm in the cold. It is one of the purest places to connect with my own essence that, that I've ever been able to found. So it truly is a meditative thing. And I think that the, um, very much like the, the dads who work all the time and then come home and yell at their kids and spank them when they're misbehaving and then, Oh, they grow up so fast. You know, I think that that, that is one way to approach both things, but I think that, that the, okay, I'm going to sit down and connect with my child. I sit down and I connect with the ice I want to be present in the moment. What is this moment revealing to me about myself and how yeah. in, in the case of, you know, being a dad, what am I being revealed about myself that I can now utilize as a tool to help mold my son into a better person? Absolutely. I a hundred percent agree. Like, but have you, do you meditate without ice? Yes. I, I, I've done it for, I reckon I've probably done it for nearly about eight years. I have not had that level of quiet of the monkey mind besides all that ice. It, you do think of things like that. Oh, like, oh, what are we going to have for dinner? Like, why am I even here? And then you start thinking, shouldn't I be like focusing and big mental mm -hmm. clarity? And then you're thinking, of, and you keep going on these tangents with ice. It's just nothing. It's there's nothing but silence, and if you focus enough, and, and this is only a short experience that I've had. This is why I find it so powerful. Is that even as a rookie getting into it, I can find everything just disappears. And if you if you had that as a sixteen hour day, and everyone saying, "Oh, I don't get any time to," myself. if you spent what let's say three minutes in ice cold water. Three minutes can be achievable for most people. Sure. And you, at the end of that, breathing it through and not even realizing where the time has gone, you're back to a, a homeostasis part. You're, you're back to a, a level of being where it's centered. You can start making better decisions rather than going home. And because I don't know about you, but I get home and sometimes my kids are running around without bloody pants on and they're screaming on the top of their head and they're going nuts and their their energy level is like right up here and I'm going, hey, I just did a big ass job and I don't have that I'm not up there yet. You can kind of center yourself, bring all that past from what happened for the day and then get back to that point and then you can start tweaking up to that level. Totally. But when you're working and you're not thinking and you're not taking that mental mind to actually sit down and actually think about what kind of day I had, uh, what's troubling me, like what what experiences have I done, what trauma am I going through for that day? Because it's ignorant to think that you don't have them. Yeah. And to to go to that state, I think that is probably what actually makes you not. I, I want to say the word better father but more conscious father than anything. It, it's, there, there are degrees of being a better father, but you're going to instill your children with coping strategies under stressful situations based off your experiences. And I, I think that the cold exposure would be 
a big contributing factor to that. Definitely. It's and different to meditation altogether. Yes, yes. And and the other cool thing about the cold and like feats of strength and other stuff that I do that my son has just grown up thinking this is just what daddy does is yeah. he's not going to ever know a time when that wasn't something that was normal. And so yeah. the 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 limitations that that come along with thinking that something like that is abnormal, it, he he won't have those limits. They just they'll never yeah. get installed into his subconscious. So I'm I'm really, really on a daily, almost moment by moment basis thinking of is this going to set up any sort of limit in his mind? And if it does, is it a useful limit? Because limitations themselves yeah. aren't bad. It's just a matter of whether we are bowing to limitations that don't serve us, right? Absolutely. So that's kind of where I'm coming from. And and that's uh, to that point. Um, it was just a couple of weeks ago, right after, I think I put a, a photo of it in the group to where he, he's like, can I get in with you? And I'm like, yeah, yeah come on. Yeah. And, yeah. um, and he was in and back out and he was like, Ooh, that's cold. And I'm like, yep, it is. But, <laughs> um, but I didn't yeah, force him that, to. That's and, right. and I got him right. out. As, it, the, I said, the, the second you want to come out, you let me know and we'll get you out. And it was about two seconds and, and, and that's great. Um, yeah. All right, so I want to move into um, rapid-fire questions real quick, and then we will yeah, wrap this up for the day. All right, rapid-fire. Whatever oh, comes on. to mind, ready, go. What is a useless talent that you have? A useless talent? I can blow bubbles out of my mouth with spit. <laughs> That's a good one. Um, yeah. Tell me a funny or heartwarming dad moment or something funny that your kids, one of them or both of them, did or said. Um, I think that my, because I was, um, I do a lot of mental things like mental clarity and meditation and stuff like that, where they were talking about what your father does, um, in kinder, my daughter said that my dad sits and closes his eyes and breathes. <laughs> I thought that was, that was actually quite a good representation that's, of it. And that, that's that really, really warmed my heart. Yeah. It's really good. Um, are you Van Halen fan? Uh, it was a little bit past my time. I appreciate the music, though. Okay. Um, that's a setup for the next question. David Lee Roth or Sammy Hagar? Yeah, I know this, yeah. No, which one? From, from oh, Van, which one? Which Van Halen era? Couldn't tell you. Like, okay. <laughs> not, not that big, big fan. <laughs> All right. Um, if you could only eat one thing for the rest of your life, what would it be? Oh, man. It'd have to be... Good or bad, doesn't matter. It's whatever you want to eat. Uh, I'd eat mac and cheese every day, man. Mac and cheese, good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Um, 12 months from now, what does your progress look like if it's awesome with your cold exposure? Man, winter, we at Mount Hotham, which is around in the area, I'm going to be in there in an icy bath with as many people as I can and have it or there's actually a, a a very similar Wim Hof style that I'm actually tempted to go it's a hiking in your basically in your undies and walking through the frosty stuff I want to get there so within within next year I want to be able to be at that frame of mind where I can actually walk around and do it properly very cool um what's the most valuable piece of advice you've ever received uh, 
you are an individual, uh, don't necessarily follow the crowd. It's pretty much is that if you think something doesn't seem right, don't do it for the sake of doing it. Good. And then last one, favorite holiday. Oh, favorite holiday, summer. Man, I, it, it, it's weird because I, I do like heavy metal. And I, I like to listen to heavy metal, but once summer kicks in, for some reason, the the station turns to like punk, lighthearted, everyone. And I actually quite enjoy because summer in Australia is fucking hot, and people are irritable, and they're their true selves, and it brings out the best and worst of everyone. And I, I think people can't fake that. And I think that's the most honest time of the year. I reckon. Well, even the holidays, but but given that. It's Christmas here, so summer right. is our Christmas. So it all falls into the whole summer Christmas area. Cool. All right. Well, Shane, yeah. thanks a bunch for being on the show with us. And, Thank you, man. Um, I'm going to stop recording here, and we'll talk a little bit further.